Um, I would say definitely don't see it as a disability. We're taught that it's a disability. It's not. It's just you, you have a different kind of brain. It's a different kind of processing system. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, you know, I published a book. You know, you can write, you can read, you can do everything anyone else can do. Uh, don't, let it, don't let people make you think that it's something bad because it's not. Welcome to the Lifelines Podcast, brought to you by the Brooklyn Writers Project. I'm Marina Aris. And I'm Diane Fenner. And we're your hosts. This is the podcast for book creators, book lovers, and literary ambassadors. Join us each week as we explore the writing life, the art, and the business of creating great books. Well, here we are again, and today we have Hallie Gordon. She is the author of An Accidental Residency, a fiction novel about a girl and graffiti. She is a sophomore studying psychology at Radford University in Virginia. And as with all of our authors, we'll be talking about the art and the business of creating great books, but today we'll also throw in some of the challenges that we don't always expect. Hallie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get right into it. I have a couple questions I want to start with. Okay, Diane, cool. Diane's a heavy hitter. You got to be ready for it. I'm ready. <laughs> well, you wrote this book at the time that you were um, getting ready to start college. And your name is Hallie Gordon, and the character in the book is Alexandria Gold. She was getting ready to start college. I'm just wondering how much of you and your protagonist overlap. Nice. So, like, how um, autobiographical is, like, Lexi? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then let's prep you. We believe that you can't really take the writer out of the story, no matter what no, you No, I write. also believe that. You agree? Okay, yeah. Cool. Um, no, I would say that, that Lexi is, um, she's sort of like me if I grew up a little bit differently. Lexi, she doesn't have, her, her dad passes away before the book starts, so she starts off in this kind of depressed, grieving state. And um, so... She's me if I didn't have the support system that I have. I have both my parents, my brother, and everything. So she's me going down a, a different path. What made you want to do that? Why did you decide to explore it in that way in particular, as opposed to somebody who was maybe happier than you or more athletic than you or any other different thing than you? Right. I think that um, I just I naturally have some of the same like tendencies. Like I'm not... I don't know if I could write like a super happy character and do it, um, you know, right or do it like with justice. What a really happy character! They have to be happy at the end. Yeah, hopefully. she's hopefully. happy at the end. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. I uh, I don't know how to like how to do that. I guess I don't yeah. think it would be very like right. I just I just know how to do like the sad. Well, I wondered if maybe it's not just an element of novel writing that you have to start with a problem to solve, or that it's not just an element of the uh, particular transition people make when they're leaving home that it wouldn't resonate as well with other young adult readers unless it came from a position of not despair but you know questioning and uncertainty did you find anything like that when you had people read it for you did they react to that um i think a lot of people identified with lexi way more than i thought they were going to I kind of worried that people were going to see Lexi as um, just like a, a spoiled little girl and they wouldn't understand that she was um, hurting for a reason and she didn't know how to cope and she didn't have the support system. But it turns out that the people who read the book actually identified with her and identified with this kind of existential angst and, and not knowing how to cope with the world and, and, uh, and not having a support system. A lot of people actually identify with that. 
you know you're unusual, right? I mean, we don't <laughs> see very many high school students, mm -hmm. rising freshmen, but yet not a college student writing books. Well, maybe, uh, maybe we just haven't met them yet, but I mean, I think it's phenomenal what you've done, for sure. Thank you. And the way that you've decided to approach it. I mean, I wonder, that, I, I think what you said is interesting, because I wonder, I'd love to know. How, how many, many there? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to know how many there are. And I, on the sort of related topic is this idea of when you, when you were leaving for college, were you leaving your hometown or were you close? Um, I'm about six hours away from home, okay. so it definitely was um, close enough that if anything happened, my dad could come get me, right? Or I could I could run back home right. in, in like a night, you know. But I d it was definitely a big change. Well, tell me if you agree with this, both of you. I, would you say that when I now I didn't experience this, but most people do. When you leave home, is there not a, a perhaps a a the death of maybe security, right? So you uh, painted your main character is very different from you because she had a, a father who passed away and it sounds like that was her, her main connection. But maybe is that how you drew upon how to build something for that character, a loss that you hadn't experienced? I is think that, that, no, I don't think that's right. I think that absolutely that when you go to college, there is a loss of security. And also you do lose your support, your support group. You don't, your friends, they, they either don't go to college or they go to a different college or, you know, some people get married and have kids or, you know, so everyone's going different directions. So you do kind of lose, you know, your support system. But for me, like, Lexi definitely, it wasn't exactly like me leaving for school that created the loss, but it was my own experiences of loss that I put like into Lexi. Is that how you did it? Oh, because I find is. that interesting. I want to understand because it sounds like you have a really great support system and sometimes we write from what we know so I, I did want to kind of dig in more to what was the source for you writing about that particular loss I find it really fascinating that you chose right that. no I absolutely I can talk about it it was um when I was 17 yeah 17 I had my best friend of you know since elementary school very very close like when you have such a good friend you think they're going to be at your wedding and you plan mm -hmm. your life together but we actually grew apart and ended up you know going our separate ways and so it wasn't a death, you know, like a parent, like Lexi, but it was the death of a friendship, right. a relationship. Right. And so that that is actually the main thing that... Interesting. You see that? Yeah. We've uncovered... I mean, that's first of all, it's really unexpected, but I'm glad to see that there really is a correlation between the author's experience and how they end up writing a story. I find In that a way, cool. it also reminds me of another author that we had here. Um, you remember Max Lebo? His book oh, right. was about three... Um, guys who were getting ready to go to college and how each of them was dealing with the idea that they would not be together. Right. Um, That's right. Yeah. I'm different from you guys. When it was time for me to go to college, I left like you leave a burning building. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I didn't even get the... I wanted to leave for college. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen to me. I had to do the online, half online, half here in CUNY, and it was just... I think I wanted that experience. I wanted the experience of getting the heck out of the city, going to, you know, yeah. something different. I also wanted the experience. I wanted to leave when I was... You did want yeah, to leave. I wanted to leave, yeah. Right. It's hard, but, like, I still wanted to, like... And so, and how do you like it there now that you've been there for two years? Well, I, um, it was weird my freshman year, I think, that I struggled a little bit. Like, I lost a lot of weight when I first got to college, and, like, I wasn't eating right, or, like, I was all the exercise and everything like that. And, um, it was hard because, like I said, you know, I didn't have 
my best friend anymore and I my family who's my support system was far away right so it was kind of trying to make friends and, right. and do well in my classes and juggle everything and how is it now is it very different do you um, feel like you found your way I'm, I, I feel like I found my way I definitely do I think that it was you know I've grown more in one year of college than I have in in all of high school four years of high school really yeah how, how did this book help you grow if at all um, well, it was, it's weird. When I was writing it, I, I was not like obsessed with it, but I definitely put a lot of my, my worth into the book, you know, because I was, I was really motivated by like my experiences and I really wanted to create something. And so the book absolutely helped me to grow. It was, it's one of the hardest things I've done. That sounds I want to know what, what, what started, right? Because as Diane pointed out, you're so young and we're in awe of you, by the way, because you're so Thank young you. and you've done that and we're still plugging, plotting our way through to that first book. Um, but, but tell us, how did you decide to, to write a book of all things? Well, um, I've always dabbled in, in writing, like going to, um, me being dyslexic, I've always had a hard time. Whoa, oh, back sorry. up. I can't Did you say Wait, being we'll, dyslexic? We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Let her finish this whole thing. I, um, I've always had a hard time reading and writing. And so when I was a little girl, my dad would, um, would make me read books all night, read books everywhere I would read. Um, I read poetry. I read all, all kinds of things just to, to help. And that's what, you know, started my love of writing. And uh, I started dabbling in it more and more, poetry especially. And and then I thought one day I was like, maybe I could do it. Right. And then I and then I did it. That's great. Okay, now let's dive into this because obviously that that is a, a challenge that we don't know about, but mm -hmm. we we are curious about. How do you, how does it affect you as a writer yeah. to have dyslexia? Um. Well, it definitely like school has always been hard. Um, reading has always been hard. I think that it affects me more in the sense of my self-esteem as opposed to actually being able to write. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is my first book and it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, is it my best work? I think that the next one will be a lot better and I've made a lot of mistakes, but I am proud of it. But um, when I, it, I don't think being dyslexic stops you from being able to write or stops, you know, I think that what happens is dyslexics don't write because they're kind of, they have lower self-esteem from people telling them that they can't do it. Well, how, do, how can you describe for, for us? Because I, when we did have another author on, on our show who had dyslexia, he, he described it as one thing, and I think it could be more than one thing. What is it for you specifically? What's your challenge? Well, I, I would say that it's actually, I kind of like saying it's like my superpower, not like my disability. Nice, and I like that. If that's like a Kanye West song. He said that being <laughs> bipolar is his superpower. and like Go Kanye. Yeah, that's where I get that from. <laughs> But he, yeah, I think that dyslexia, um, it allows me to, it's, it's a processing of information uh, different. So I process information differently than you or somebody else. Okay. So I think that it allows me to process the world differently and then put that into my writing differently. I think that oh. it's, I visualize the world different and I can put visual scenes into my book because of that. So when you see a, so when you see words on a page, mm -hmm. can you describe what that's like? Because I really want to understand it. Right. So what happens when you see a paragraph and I see a paragraph? That's so different? people think that it would be like I look at a page and it's all scrambled up. It's right. like not like that. Okay, yeah, see, because I'm ignorant. <laughs> right, so I no, no, it's okay. Good. People, people think that, um, but it's actually like I, I look at words and they look like words, but when I'm reading them, they letters, certain letters, sometimes for people it's whole words or numbers, they flip in your head so when you read it, they don't look flipped, they just flip automatically in your head. So sometimes That's like... interesting, right? Yeah, so if I'm writing, when I was young especially, instead of, you know, spelling words like bed, 
I, I couldn't because the B and the D, they look very similar. Right. Or, you know, um, flipping words, you know, or flipping letters upside down, um, numbers, confusing numbers with letters sometimes. So that that's that's what it is. It just does it automatically in your head. You don't see it actually. Like So you have to train your 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 brain and your eyes to yeah. read things as they truly are. Yeah, that's what my dad always used to say, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Read it as it is, not what you want to see. Right. So right. read what's there. And I also, I would add inwards. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Your dad sounds phenomenal, by the way. Yeah, I know I keep mentioning him. He's like my, he's my rock. That's why. Yeah, we got to talk about the rock. We yeah. got to give him some, some airtime here. Yeah. Because it's wonderful for a writer to have some some form of support like that. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, so many of us struggle with parents yeah. and parenting. And tell us about your dad. No, tell he's definitely, him. he's an incredible guy. He's really amazing. He, um is, you know, I was raised by, like, a single parent for most of my life now, and he, he's just amazing. He, he's always supported me. He actually is the one who taught me how to read, because in school, I was struggling, and he's the one who said, you're going to sit at the kitchen table, and you're going to work for three hours, and you're not going to leave until you do it, you know? Uh, is he a big reader? What is he like? He's a what huge he reader. Oh, he's a huge, he's the one who would read me the poetry at night, oh. and, and I, I would credit him for me, you know, yeah. being a writer. Is your dad write at all, or no? My Are we gonna have him on the show? <laughs> <laughs> my dad, maybe, maybe. My dad's always wanted to. He's definitely got it in him. He's got. I know he's got a couple books in him. He's always wanted to, and I can That's see him so doing great. it. That's great. Well, you know, yeah. if we get to meet him at all, you should yeah. call him. We'll, we'll get him <laughs> to write something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. I love that story, by the way. That was really sweet. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> Thank you. Well, um, you're here in part to go to the Writers Digest yes. conference, mm-hmm. and that's how we grabbed you up. No, um, it's one, not. Um, it's LinkedIn, by the way. I thought it was Writer's Digest. Yeah, it was LinkedIn. <laughs> My mistake. Oh, that's not how we first met yet. No, nope, she found us on LinkedIn. But that's how we managed to plan this meeting, because you right. were here for the Writer's Digest yes. conference. Yes. I wonder about that. Are you there? Are you going there for the pitch slams? Are you looking for a publisher? I'm, um, I am. I'm going there just, just to learn for all the, the cool speakers that they have there and everything like that. I but I know that they Yeah, I so know, much. I know. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> I'm, also, I'm also there to pitch to agents. So that's part, that's part of it. I've been to that pitch session a few years ago, and it was phenomenal, and mm-hmm. it's very popular. That's one of the best things about it. Um, but good. That's the best thing you can yeah. do is spend a little time, keep learning. And like you said, your book, your next book, and your book after that, every book gets better. Did you start... Looking for agents earlier? I mean, when you were writing this book, did you think, um, I'm going to skip entirely over the process of doing a query letter or a publisher, and I'm just going to self-publish it? Or did you go through a little searching then and decide to self-publish it temporarily while you continued searching for a publisher? Well, I, I wrote the book, and then um, I went through the process for about like a year, actually, looking for literary agents. And I never snagged one. Most times I didn't get a like response. <laughs> But um, it's a way harder process than I thought it was going to be. And they are like the gatekeeper to being traditionally published. So um, I was sitting down and I was thinking about it. And I, originally I really didn't want to self-publish. Something about it, I just I almost felt like it was like a defeat. Like cheating or something. Like cheating. Most people do think that. But. Yeah, but, but now, I, now that I've done it, I see that it's absolutely not. Especially because um, traditional publishing houses, they offer... I think different things than they used to. I think authors are, are working, they're doing a lot more of the work now right. with self-promoting and marketing right. themselves, even spending their own money to do it. That's right. And so I kind of thought, like, why don't I self-publish and I'll own the rights That's as right. opposed to giving them away and I'll just do the work because I would anyway. Yes. I'm so glad. Um, yes. I'd love to spend a little time on that. I think we got a very similar reaction when we interviewed uh, Marianne McDonald mm-hmm. or Mary Lee, Mary Lee McDonald. Mary Lee. I'm sorry. Yes. 
um, who um, laid it out very clearly from her experience. And I think that we need just another touch here of conversation about the stigma or prejudice that still exists out there in spite of all the changes in other industries when the internet revolution started and journalism has changed. And um, did you go through uh, feeling um, insulted by people or did they stigmatize you or what was your experience when you said I've decided to self-publish did you get met with approval with people saying that's the way to go these days or did you not? Well I have uh, a very tight-knit family and I didn't really talk about publishing my book um, but when I did finally say that I was self-publishing I haven't for my family at least I haven't gotten anything but you know good praise but I do definitely agree that there is uh, a stigma about self-publishing. Even I feel it. That it, I feel like I've I've cheated, but I know that I haven't. Um, but there, yeah, exactly. I think there is absolutely no stigma. I am. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm just saying. This, well, this is true. I think. Um, I think as we sit here having this conversation, the stigma continues to be lifted away from that industry because, as you just noted, when you actually do it. It's hard work to do it well. Mm. There's a lot of crap out there. Fine. If you don't do it right and you cut the corners and you just don't invest in it, it's going to be bad. And you know what? That's logical. That has nothing to do with self-publishing as a whole. It's just how you approach it. So obviously, you've done a great job. Here is the book. I might as well show it to our camera because here it is. And it looks, in fact, like a very nicely put together book. Thank you. So congratulations for doing that. And it's proof that it can be done and it can be done well. How hard was it and how long did it take you? To write the book or to publish the book? Both. Oh. Give us the uh, whole thing. Okay, well, writing the book, I um, it took me, I started really, I've been saying the last three years, but I like started like messing around with the idea of writing something when I was a freshman in high school. But then I really started seriously seeing it. It goes earlier than you expected. Yes. I love it. But that, daddy, that's daddy. That's yeah, daddy's influence. It was just the uh, that was just the beginning, but I really started seriously, seriously writing, saying I'm I'm gonna publish this, I'm gonna take it seriously the last two, three years. So um it's it's been a, a piece of work. But self publishing was absolutely one of the hardest things. I did not realize how hard it was to self publish and as you said, Marina, to do it well. Um, it takes money. I didn't realize that, you know, an ISBN and the book cover and all these different things, and the barcode, like, costs money. And, um, but the world is changing. I think that when we talked about the stigma of self-publishing is slowly being lifted. It's absolutely true because Amazon and, you know, Smashwords and Kobo and all these international uh, aggregators for self-publishing, um, they're picking up. They have, they have a lot, they have literally, like, yeah. so many books. And so um, I think the world's changing, and I'm excited because I'm self-published. Can we talk about time, please? I want to talk about time. How do you, I mean, we all have our struggles. I have children, as you, you know, Diane and I mentioned to you. So how do you manage, a, 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 I would imagine, a full course load? Yes. And you're, you're continued, are you continuing to write right now? Yeah, I am. Um, I've actually started a new project. It's very, very, like, in the beginning. Oh, so. okay. But, um... Yeah, no, balancing time is definitely something I've struggled with. I'm a huge procrastinator. Really? Um, yeah, I wouldn't absolutely. think so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird because it's yeah. like people think I'm not because like I've, I've accomplished something I've wanted to accomplish. But it took me a really long time. And a lot of it was just me like breaking down and like crying and saying like, I can't finish it. I can't yeah. do this. Yeah. 
Um, so I definitely struggle with time management for sure. So give us a day in the life. What, what's, what give us a, or a week in the life. Cause I know sometimes we have set days for things, but right. Well, for like, I do take, um, pretty heavy course loads at college because I want to try and get the bang for my buck, get the most out of it that I can. I love this um, kid. I, I, no, I was a kid. That's, that's under no, my, okay. you're not a kid. You're a young woman and you're, Thank you. I just want to bow down to your efforts. Good job. <laughs> no, uh, the day in the life, I guess, would be just school, right? And then I, I try and find time for writing. Last year, I didn't didn't do it too too well, but um, you were getting acclimated. Yeah, I was getting acclimated. <laughs> but this year, I'm gonna really try hard to really find the time and say, okay, I'm gonna write for an hour. That's usually what I do. I sit down and say, I'm gonna sit here, and if I don't write, I'll stare at this blank page for an hour, cool. and that's just it. That's great. <laughs> that's really cool. And psychology, right? Yes, psychology. Okay. What do you? What draws you to psychology? Um, I, I same thing that kind of draws me to writing. I love people, and I love the interaction specifically between people. I love you know dialogue, hearing people talk, um, what kind of goes on behind behind closed doors we don't really see, and um, and I think writing is kind of similar to that. It's being able to see people for for who they really are, and uh, seeing why do they do the things that they do. You know what what made them do that. You know, and uh, psychology is like that, so it kind of overlaps. When you wrote the book, did you have the ending in mind? I mean, did you see it as a whole piece in your head from beginning to end, and then the task was just to fill it in with words, or did it sort of unfold for you as you wrote? I think that it, it definitely unfolded for me. I think that when I started taking the writing way more seriously, and I said, I'm going to finish this, um, I was so motivated, so motivated, and... Um, and it kind of, it became, you know, autobiographical. It was this girl, Lexi, who had all these struggles and, and was depressed and was trying to, like, make her way in the world and figure out what she wanted. And then at the end of the book, she's, she's happy. She's kind of, like, okay with life. And I think that's, that's kind of like me, too. Yeah. Would you write something on a, with a downer, you know, like a, a good European film, for example? You know, just, oh, yeah. let's kill the ending. Would you ever go? Yeah. I, so you're I, so trying that. I think, I think I should try it out. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe, yeah, it might be a fun experiment, right? Yeah. I'm a sucker for a happy ending, I have to say. I love a good happy ending. Go for it. Look, Nicholas Sparks is making movies and millions mm-hmm. on, on the happy ending. So. Are you going to do any creative writing classes, or are you going to stick with the psychology um, for now? I'm going to stick with psychology. It's just hard because I, like I said before, I want to like finish as early as I can because of like money. It costs a lot to go to school. And so, um, you know, finding creative writing classes is like hard when I have to take a science or a math and things like that. Have you gone on social media and started to build up a network so that you have followers and... Yeah, I have. I have um, an Instagram account, which is official Hallie Gordon. Mm-hmm. And um, I also have a writer's blog, which is trafficforthesoul.com. How what is that? it? Oh, wait, say that again. Traffic for the Soul. It's... Oh, I like that. <laughs> Thank you. You have to write a... I mean, I could see that as a title. I love that. Yeah. That's nice. Okay, tell us about it. Um, the writer's blog? Traffic, but yeah. Traffic it's just people. kind of where I, um, talk about writing, talk about anxiety. I have a lot of anxiety that, like, surrounding writing, but also surrounding life. So I talk about that and talk about, um, you know, even publishing the book, like, gave me more stress. I thought it was going to be, like, oh, I was going to be happy when I did it. But then it was... No, then you're out there. Yeah, that's what we've noticed. That's what scares me then is because now it's, like, um, and I'm, I'm very excited to be on this podcast, but it is a weird thing to think that things are out there forever. Now people not know who I am. I'm not popular, but kind of. Well, no. you're, 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 you're exposed. exposed. You're exposed. exposed. Vulnerable. No, and not only, but, but, but look, I think what would be even 
I mean, I would say, look, I think the bigger fear for any creative person is not to put their work out there. If you really think about it, if you take some time, right? Yeah. And to think about that final day when you were like, I never did it. I think I'd be much more afraid of that. So whenever you're feeling anxious, think about the fact that you've actually done this. Yeah, I try and, to. And that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, Thank really. You. And you just keep going with it. And, and, and also remember... Um, at least from my, I remember my, my youth and it was very different from yours, but I think what we all do experience is that feeling of vulnerability and anxiety and it's so normal, you know, it's just par for the course. Um, but you're doing phenomenally well by, by using some of that, you know, energy and putting it into your work and I, I really admire you for that. So. How about feedback from the general public, feedback that you get through comments or people reaching out to you on social media or in other ways, what's that been like? I haven't had like too much. I've been trying to market. I've been trying to build a platform. So it's it's slow but sure. I'm thinking. Um, I've had a couple like international like downloads. The ebook is doing much better than the paperback because paperback is more money and ebook is more accessible to to people on more platforms. Um, so I'm still kind of waiting for for more reviews. I don't have too many, but so far it's been it's been positive mostly. Well, it takes time. It takes time to, to do that. And, and again, that's a good start. So just, you know, keep breathing, keep doing it. You're fine. You're totally fine. As a person with dyslexia, <clears throat> when you write, do you dictate or do you actually write at a computer or do you write by hand? Um, I write on a computer. It's really hard for me to write by hand. I think that I make more mistakes writing by hand than I do on a computer. As funny as that sounds, I don't really know the science behind that. But I don't really like reverse my letters um, when I type, but I definitely do when I write with my hand. You know what I think the science is potentially mm -hmm. is that, and, and I don't know if you've heard this, Diane, but when we write with our with our hands, we have a much stronger connection to our mind. <laughs> and in essence, it's a bit more emotional, and maybe it's just closer to your brain circuitry. I mean, I, that sounds really that scientific. That would make sense. It sounds a little more scientific. Where, where the keyboard, I think, allows us to be just a bit more precise, and mm -hmm. maybe maybe that's why. I mean, I'm not that I need to answer that for you, but it just made me think about that, that there is a very big difference between handwriting and, and typing on a computer. About dyslexia, why do you call it a superpower? Well, I think it's like what I was saying earlier about like visualizing the world. I think that I just process the world differently. And Can you tell me what that looks like to you? You know, I, I, it's hard to like, cause I don't know how other people process it. I just know that, um, you know, I've, I've always been different in school. I've never had the strengths that everyone else had. But they say that, you know, dyslexic people are more creative or that because we process things differently, we look at things in a different way. And um, it, it's almost like being, um, you know how people say left-brained or, or right-brained, or even people who write with their left hand, who are left-handed, process the world differently. Right. So I think that all these, you know, that's when we talk about like diversity and all those things, that having all these people who, talk, who think differently is, uh, is an asset, and that's why I think it's an asset to me. How do you know that you're thinking differently? Can you give me a concrete example of something that you might say and other people would say, oh, I don't look at it that way. I'm just looking for an... Actual right. That's a, good, that's a good question. Yeah. How do you know yeah. that you're different? It's hard to think of like an exact example. Um, I just know that like when we talk about strengths, people have different strengths. So, you know, if you're some people, they can look at a map and they can they can totally you know process the information and apply it to the real world, and that's like a skill that they have because they process information that way. Or other people, you know, some people are really good at at math. And they're also really good at language because it's looking at things in a formula perspective. Um, I think that I view things more creatively. Dyslexics are known to view things in a creative way or, or happen to be more creative. 
And so I think that that's, you know, just it goes into how I process process the world, if that makes sense. It's hard to, like, explain. Well, how, do you, how do you do with maps and math? Um, not too good with either. Okay. I don't it's, either, but am I yeah. dyslexic? <laughs> I'm terrible with a map. I see a map and I get overwhelmed. And yeah, I maps, yeah. for me, it's yeah. really, really hard to, um, I have a hard time translating a map to the real world. Like, I can't really look at both and, and see I where so I am. Better. Yeah. I feel better about myself. Yeah. It's a processing issue. Right, but like, <laughs> me. I definitely do things different yeah. than other people. I can understand, like, maybe I, when it comes to language, you know, um, it, it's hard with the grammar. It's hard because it's like a formula. Um, my brother is really good at both those things. He thinks in that kind of formatic, logical way. But, you know, when it comes to language, I can definitely understand what people, you know, are, are trying to say, even if I don't understand. I can understand the body language. I can understand this and that. I think it's just processing differences. How are you at foreign languages? I think that I, I speak conversational French. I've been studying it for the last couple of years, and I think that I'm uh, surprisingly good at it. I think that's correlate. Uh, that's a correlate. You know that um, you can pick up foreign languages quickly if you are the kind of thinker that you sound like you are. Yeah. I don't know, but some, some people do say that you're also high, uh, math, like if you math and music then foreign languages are easier or something like that. I think those yeah, are good together. Well, we're going to have a poll. Everybody we're going to have a poll, right? But, but let, let me ask you this, and then and this will dispel the myth, at least the one that I've been hanging on to forever about dyslexia, is that I understood it to be strictly a, and I think this is what you're getting at, a very concrete example. I understood it to be, you know, something you see, like, let's say, in writing, for mm -hmm. instance, which you've already explained. Um, and, and I thought that, that that meant that it was actually just strictly um, tied to that and not to how you see the world, how you um, interact with others. I didn't right. see it beyond the scope of maybe a piece of paper. And I think that's what Diane was getting at. It's like, what's the concrete example? And, and how can you tell creativity um, apart from it's, it's a result or a consequence of dyslexia? I, I kind of think that's what you were trying to, to, to formulate. Right. I think that I'm, um, I think I'm naturally creative, like, as well. I don't think it's like, oh, you're dyslexic, you're going to be a good writer. Or anything like that. <laughs> That'd be great. I, I don't know, I wish. <laughs> but, um, but because it's, because it's a processing difference, right. and it, that's what I'm saying. It's that because, it's a processing. because you have a different kind of, you know, the way you see the world is different. And there's like studies on that, like documentaries on that. I can't exactly explain it, but you can yeah. definitely look it up. No, no, I find it fascinating. Up. Thank you for, for, for enlightening us with, no, thank with you. some of your experience, because like all things that deal with the brain and processing, we haven't figured it all out. Right. right? Absolutely. So. And the, the challenges definitely exceed, you know, like writing or reading writing because like also left and right so driving can be hard you don't understand like which side of the road you're supposed to be on right. or like you know turning do you, or do like you that. drive i do Same drive <laughs> no, i'm kidding i hate driving i hate it <laughs> or lockers can be hard you know, oh with those, those the turning uh, yeah you see there's a lot of different things that just goes into you know it's not just reading and writing it's if the world we, if we ever drive anywhere please don't give me that <laughs> you know what's great no more maps now mm. it's GPS, baby. No more reading those maps because I've always been so awful at it. Well, do you have any advice for people who are struggling with dyslexia? Um, I would say definitely don't see it as a disability. We're taught that it's a disability. It's not. It's just you, you have a different kind of brain. It's a different kind of processing system. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, you know, I published a book. You know, you can write, you can read, you can do everything anyone else can do. 
Uh, don't let it, don't let people make you think that it's something bad because it's not. I like it, I like it. Dyslexia is your superpower. Can I use that maybe as a, the theme of our topic? <laughs> yeah. Because it's fantastic. Yeah, there you go, that's it. I think it's fantastic. Thank you. Okay, so let's move on to our On the Hook segment where we invite our show guests to read an excerpt of their work. You can choose where you like, just tell our listeners uh, the chapter that you're reading from and you can read for, you know, a, a, about a minute or so. Okay, sounds good. So this is um, chapter two. Just to set up the scene a little bit, it's Lexi, the main character, and she's uh, in an argument with her teacher. And give us a title one more time. Uh, an accidental residency. Let me think about it. Okay. An accidental residency. Okay. Uh, why don't you have a seat? He gestures to the desk in front of him as he leans against the front of his own desk. I let out another heavy sigh as I walk casually over to the chair and take a seat, leaning back all the way and propping my elbow on the desk bar. It seems you've significantly dropped your grade in my class, Alexandria. I know you've had certain... He pauses, waving the pencil in his hand around as he searches for the most politically correct word choice. Events that have made schooling more difficult, but it's been a considerable amount of time since these... He takes another pause, pushing his thin rim metal glasses up with his middle finger. Events have taken place. What I'm trying to communicate to you is that you cannot keep using your personal life as an excuse. Mr. Baldwin finishes and looks at me over his considerable gut with a look of suppressed judgment on his face. After a long pause, during which I'm examining exactly what he has just said to me, I lean forward in my seat. Has anyone ever told you you speak exactly like the priest in The Princess Bride? He stares at my blank expression with a raised eyebrow, opening and closing his mouth a few times like a fish gasping for air. Excuse me? He finally says straightening up and running a hand through the graying hair on his head. Well, but was left of it anyway. You know, The Princess Bride. You've never seen it. Well, I highly recommend it. I'm a sucker for a good romantic comedy, I say, standing up and slinging my backpack over my shoulder. Miss Gold, sit back down. We are not done speaking. He is shaking an irritated finger at the seat I just removed my butt from. Why? So you can tell me more about why my personal life isn't an excuse for poor grades? I reply, heading for the door. Why don't you just say what you want to say? My father's death isn't an excuse to be failing your class. Did you ever stop to think that maybe I'm failing because you're a bad teacher? Anger swells up from my stomach and I can't seem to control the words that I know will just get me into more trouble. You know what's funny about our education system, Mr. Baldwin? The kids are so stressed about school they develop anxiety or pray to get sick or try to kill themselves and no one ever thought, hmm... Maybe there's a problem here. Instead, you think, wow, kids are so lazy these days. But that's okay because all that matters is their GPA and how good it makes you look. End scene. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep bringing you great content. For show notes, upcoming events, and to participate in the Brooklyn Writers Project community, head on over to our website at www.brooklynwritersproject.com. Questions or comments? Send them to contact at lifelinespodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Lifelines, the books podcast has been brought to you by the Brooklyn Writers Project. Music for this podcast has been provided by Anthony Nuda of Noble Sense Productions.